Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Don't we all want to know today and right now, what do we need to do and what can we actually do to ensure we take steps now and tomorrow that will help us succeed, that will cause us to progress and we'll wake up a week from now, a month from now, or next year living with increased income, increased fulfillment and joy, increased excitement and inspiration, increased achievements. Is there really any other reason that you're even listening to The Ziggler Show? So, I received a book titled Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. I was, you know, interested, of course, initially, but I didn't open the book right away. When I did, though, I was intrigued. The book book is authored by Alan Stein Jr., and he is our guest today. And here's what I think is of such great value. Alan didn't just have some personal success he's now going to tell us about, and he didn't even just survey some successful people. He works directly alongside them long-term and intimately, and a lot of that work has been with NBA superstars. He's a renowned performance coach, high performance coach who spent a lot of his career working alongside these pro basketball players and aspiring pro basketball players. And today he's a sought after speaker, podcast host, and author. But before you get visions of his guidance being, you know, how to high jump and dribble, the first chapter of his book is what hooked me. It's really the anchor in my opinion. And as you'll hear, that's what he believes as well. It's why he put it as the first chapter. And uh, it's based on my current favorite word, aware. Uh, so chapter one on his book is self-awareness. So again, did you get that? I mean, the testimony is that the first key ingredient they're looking for in a world dominating basketball players, not height, reach, endurance, physical strength, or even mental grit. It's self-awareness. And in my years of working as a professional in the personal development industry, and after 362 Ziegler show episodes and over a hundred interviews with highly successful and influential people, I totally agree. Self-awareness is the key. Chapter two of the book, interestingly, is passion. I mean, like self-awareness, passion is something anyone can have, folks. That's available to all of us. So you can see why I was excited about the message. When I asked Alan what he most wanted to communicate to us on the show, he responded with this. I want to share tips, concepts, stories, and practical, actionable takeaways that can be implemented immediately and raise everybody's performance. So you can get the book and connect with Alan at raiseyourgamebook.com or wherever you buy books. Uh, though at his site, you can get a free preview right away. You'll see right off the bat a glowing review from best-selling author Daniel Pink, who was our guest in show 575. All right, I'll save the rest of the conversation with Alan uh, for the interview coming up right now after I share some great resources with you. Okay, friends, here we go with Alan Stein Jr., all right. Well, Alan, right off the bat, you work with or have, you know, historically with elite and pro athletes, uh, people who have achieved a great level of success. You're working with them, fine tuning things. Uh, I have a friend here in Colorado Springs who does cognitive training. He does a lot with the Olympic Training Center. So again, he's working with people at a high level. They're going for the gold. But I want everyone to relate here. And I know there's some folks who are going to say, gosh, you know, I, I mean, now, by listening to the show, I'm going to say they're by proxy high caliber folks, you know, and they're, they are striving to increase their performance. But 
they may not feel like they're at the point. Do I need not, do I need a high performance coach? I, I don't feel like I'm quite there. So I want you really to take this message and say, no, this is not just fine tuning the greats. This is something that we can all grasp onto that we need to. Absolutely. Everybody needs a coach. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, how experienced you are, uh, how high or low your performance is at present, uh, what industry you're in. Uh, everyone needs a coach. A coach is going to be able to help you see your blind spots, which by definition, we can't see on our own. Uh, and a coach will tell you the things that you need to hear, not just the things that you want to hear. And, yeah. and I've always believed that a, a true friend, uh, a true coach or a teacher cares enough about you to tell you those things. And they do it through love and grace and compassion because they want you to be the best that you're capable of. And, you know, I find it fascinating because most people, when they hear the word coach, relegate that to the sports world. Uh, that's where we, we think of coaches. Uh, but I, I very much wanted to expand well beyond that. And any area of your life that you're trying to improve, uh, whether it's professional speaking or podcasting or parenting or leading, you need a coach. And uh, I know uh, for me, I've had a variety of coaches my entire life and wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am uh, without their guidance and their mentorship. Well, in that same vein, uh, again, working with coming from that arena of elite athletes, when they have achieved a certain level of success of achievement, I assume there's some things you're going to take for granted. And I'm going to get into, you know, some of the pieces of your book, which is so intriguing to me. That's why you're here today, but that there are some things that you take for granted that obviously they got here because of, you know, of X and that's before getting into, you know, again, self-awareness, passion, the things that we're going to get into your book and are there things. So as our folks are listening out here, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, they're wondering, gosh, are there, are there some things for me to have high performance for me to really up my game? What are some things that have to be in place? I mean, what are some foundations, some pillars that have to be there before I can even look at really, yeah, high performance coaching? Well, the number one is having a mindset that I actually, I learned directly from Kobe Bryant and I had a chance to watch him during one of his private workouts back in 2007. And, and I remember being really surprised at him doing such basic movements and basic offensive moves and basic pivoting and footwork drills. You know, here I am a, a younger coach going in to watch the best player in the world at the time. And I thought I was going to see a lot of flash and a lot of sizzle. Yeah. And he was in there working on the basic fundamentals. And, and ultimately I had a conversation with him later and, and, and he said, the best never get bored with the basics. And that is always stuck with me. And, and it's something that I, I try to consistently remind myself of that we have to work on the basics and, and what those basics are. Those may vary depending on who you are or what your level is or what it is that you're trying to master. But the concept that you never outgrow the fundamentals and you never get bored with the basics is a powerful one. And, and I remember thinking, well, man, if the best player in the world doesn't get bored with the basics, then I certainly have no business getting bored with them and practicing the fundamentals over and over. You know, I know at the time of this recording, you know, we've already had the Super Bowl and the NFL season is over, but inevitably this happens every single NFL season. And it always makes me chuckle. Uh, I remember it vividly happened a few months ago that when an NFL team loses two or three games in a row, uh, the coach comes on during the post-game press conference and says something to the effect of, on Monday's practice, we're going to get back to the basics. Yeah. 
which, which in football is blocking and tackling and so forth. But I always find it funny, and, and I don't say this to diminish these coaches. The NFL head coaches are brilliant leaders. Uh, but I laugh because if their solution to the problem is to get back to the basics, then that leads to the obvious question of why did you ever leave them in the first place? Yeah. If your answer is to get back to them, then don't leave them. Make them a major staple of everything that you do, every single practice. And, you know, from the, the Coach K's to the Bill Belichick's to the Greg Popovich's to, to some of the most elite sport coaches, if you've ever had a chance to watch any of their practices and workouts, they spend a portion of every single one of them doing the basics and the fundamentals. And for me, uh, that's where every single person should start. That is the foundation is work on mastering your craft and mastering the basics. And then you can level up. But the basics are the foundation to which the whole house is built. Okay, well, I'll ask you on that. I don't know that I've ever talked about this on one of the shows, but it's something that continues to germinate just in my own head. I mean, we know that from a personal standpoint, all of us, who we are, what we are, our personal development, so much, a dramatic amount is programmed in. In our early years, our formative years, our upbringing for better and for worse. And I look at that and think, you know, in a, in a very good sense, and I've, you know, I've got a lot of kids, they are brainwashed. We had this discussion. I did have it with my kids. Maybe <laughs> not on the show with my kids. I am brainwashing you guys for better and worse. Even if I try not to, I can't help but do it. All you know is me as your father. I'm so sorry. And, uh, you know, but I'm brainwashing you for you to change, for you to later in life come out and say, I need to be better here. I want to be better here. I want something different here. You will have to go through another process of brainwashing. So you're, you, I feel it acutely from what you're saying with these guys and what we're going to all extrapolate from this, going to the basics, the basics of our high performance of our good performance should be by rote. It should be happen by, uh, it should be uh, mechanical in essence. It should be. And that's what you're saying with these guys. Cause you think, Oh my gosh, these guys have been playing forever. Why on earth does Michael Jordan need to shoot another free throw in practice again? And yet that's the story from him, but man, I don't think, well, obviously that's why you're here today. That's why you wrote the book. We don't do that. We're looking for the next cool move. Yes. Hmm. You, you said it perfectly there. I mean, we live in a society that, that, nudges us to circumvent the process and nudges us to skip steps and is always trying to get us to chase what's hot and flashy and sexy and new the hack. instead of sticking exactly yeah. instead of sticking to what's basic and the basics work they always have and they always will and uh, one example i use all the time i mean uh, in any relationship i mean it doesn't matter if you're talking about a a, a coworker uh, from parent to child uh, your significant other uh, any type of relationship, you can immediately improve that relationship and, and deepen any connection by simply improving the skill of active listening. That is a basic fundamental. That is, active listening is like working on your footwork in basketball. If you can get better at actively listening, then you can improve any relationship in your life. And that is a fundamental principle. But how many people take time and put conscious effort into practicing the skill of active listening. Now, there's no shortage of people talking in this world, so we should be thankful for that and use that to our advantage and practice the skill of active listening. And you know, that's, that's just one example of how we can take a basic idea, put it into action, and see how we'll get a return on our investment. And the return is you will deepen every connection in your life when you get better at listening. Okay, well, I, you have no idea the relevance of you stating that. We just, uh, I think... Gosh, a couple interviews ago, I'll hold the book up for you. 
Uh, they can't see it, but Oscar Tromboli, he wrote this little book called Deep Listening, one of the most impacting messages I've ever heard on listening. So thanks for backing him up on that. He will, he will be grateful. Well, you know, so to continue on here, I mean, the thing that honestly enamored me right away from your book as I looked at it, because the concept of, you know, hey, let's increase our, our performance tagline here at Ziggler is inspiring your true performance, uh, didn't grab me as much as, boom, hitting that first chapter and seeing you say, out of all the things that we would think of that you would advocate with, with pro athletes, with these uh, amazing people on and off the court and influential people that you're involved with and that you are yourself, that you pulled out self-awareness. It's not only the first chapter, but you go on to say that it is the hub, actually. Uh, the single, here's your quote, the single most important thing a person needs for success is self-awareness. And again, we're, we're talking, we're all envisioning Kobe Bryant on the, on the court, uh, and you're a high performance coach and that's not what comes to mind. So let me go down through your list just for everybody's benefit here. It's who you are, what you can do, what you can't do where your value comes from, where you need improvement. And you say, it's not just the most important. It is the hub. And then you go into the point of that. This is that I, I so uh, appreciate that. It's not just something that you do once in a while for an inventory. You don't just go through a weekend seminar or a book and go, Oh gosh. Okay. Self-awareness. I, I got it. That, that's, that's key. So now I know, now I know. I'm good. You say it's practicing self-awareness every day as a habit. And I got to be honest with you. When I, when I thought about that, how the first question came to mind is how do I do that? How do I do that? Alan? How do I practice self-awareness? I know that I should have it. I think that I do, as you said, that we all do. How do I practice that? How do I well, and go into what you do talk about too, uh, which is the, I wrote it down the Dunning, which I've heard paraphrase the Dunning Kruger effect. We can't know everything that we don't know. How can I be self-aware? How can I practice every day? Because I don't know what I don't know. Absolutely. And that by definition is our, are our blind spots. And, yeah. and I love that you have such an attraction to that chapter because it's, it's my favorite if I had to pick one. I mean, mm. certainly I'm a little biased. I enjoy the whole book, but that is my favorite because it is, it's the starting point. And, and you just hit on so many insightful points right there. Uh, one Self-awareness is not, it's not just knowing what we like and what we don't like and what we're good at and what we're not good at. It's doing the hard internal work. It's also taking a look at what are our fears and what are our insecurities and then really digging to the root of those. You know, uh, it's also being able to, to step back and uh, be a spectator to our own emotions and our own thoughts. So it's one thing to have the awareness to say, you know, I'm kind of mad right now. I'm angry right now. Most people have that level down pat. But then the next is to be able to say, well, well, why am I angry right now? Why am I feeling this emotion? And it's very rarely what's right in front of us. You know, when someone cuts you off in traffic and you get irritated, it, that's very rarely why you're irritated. There's something beneath the surface there that's right. causing that feeling that's it's not allowing it just to pass. So it's being able to dig deeper, uh, but then also having a really high self-awareness is being able to say, okay, I'm going to step out and be a spectator for a moment. Uh, anger is a, is a normal human emotion, and I need to figure out why I'm angry, but I also need to figure out the best way to process this emotion so that I don't hurt anybody else, that I don't you know, uh, disappoint someone, I don't make a rash decision that could be costly down the line. I'm going to accept the fact that I'm angry, but I need to figure out the best way to manage that emotion so that it will move me forward in life as opposed to cripple me and, and have me regress. And having that type of awareness over your own feelings and emotions will make you more highly sensitive 
to the rest of the surrounding world and being able to see how, how their emotions are, which again will allow us, say you and I, for example, to have a much deeper connection. If I have full management over how I'm feeling and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, it will give me insight and compassion and empathy and vulnerability to you. And then another portion of self-awareness is making sure that there's alignment between how I see myself and how the rest of the world sees me. And this is where we need coaches. This is where we need an inner circle. Uh, I'll use listening as an example because we've already used that. Uh, If you ask me if I'm a good listener and I say, yes, I am, and then you ask the five people that know me the best and they all say, oh gosh, no, Alan's the worst listener we know of, then clearly I don't have very high awareness. There is a disconnect between how I view myself and how others view me. Uh, and this says, you know, this is nothing about uh, trying to, to garner other people's, you know, uh, acceptance or, or affection. It's simply uh, there's a dysfunction or a disconnect in the reality. Yeah. Uh, as funny as it be, I'd actually have higher self-awareness if I said, no, I'm an awful listener. And these five people all agree with me. So that's why we need coaches and we need other people. As counterintuitive as it is, in order to achieve high self-awareness, you do often need the input of the people that know you the best. And uh, when you have this full management over everything you're thinking, everything you're feeling, everything you're doing, only then can you perform at the highest level. And one example I always use in basketball, if any of your listeners do like basketball, it's, it's not the player that takes a bad shot that's a problem. It's the player that takes a bad shot and has no idea that it was a bad shot. That's going to cause a problem because now they're going to do it again because they don't realize they made a mistake. So when a player takes a bad shot and looks over to the coach and says, my bad, sorry, as coaches, we can all live with that. But the one that doesn't know, that's the problem. And that's that's what happens when you lack self-awareness. And and I I love the way that you brought up that self-awareness is a journey. It's not an end destination. You can't wake up one morning and stick your flag in the ground and say, hey, everyone, I've arrived. I'm aware because then you won't be. It's very similar to fitness. You can't wake up one morning and say, I'm physically fit. And then for the rest of your life, not eat well and not work out, you won't be physically fit anymore. So self-awareness is very similar. Well, it's, it's, it is, it's the journey. It's the, it's the prayer. God opened my eyes to what I don't see and my ears to what I don't hear because God helped me. I, I don't know what I don't know. So I, I, again, I love you brought that out there. And even the aspect of, you know, why asking yourself, okay, recognizing I'm angry. Why am I angry? I immediately went and thought to the slow person driving in front of me, which is the, 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 that's where most of my anger comes from. Unfortunately, I think, and it's not them, <laughs> you know, why am I angry? Cause he's driving slow. No, it's cause I'm late because I left too late. Cause I wasn't right. managing my time and I love going into that. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Well, you have a self-test in, in a sense. I mean, it's almost funny to call it a self-test because it's so, well, back to the basics. As you yes. said, number one, what do you do really well? Number two, what do you need to improve on? Number three, what is your plan for addressing number two? I want you to chime in here. I mean, you're talking about, well, let's go back to the analogy of pro players. Obviously, if they have a weak area, they generally 
want to improve upon that. But then you also talk, and I, don't, I can't remember the, the, the couple guys, you talked about a couple big names and you said, all they do is, is a couple things. That's all they do. That's all they're supposed to do. So in this, because I'm thinking about personality profiles and sometimes we talk about, especially in the workplace, know what your strengths are, stick on there and, you know, don't worry about the weaknesses or delegate those. Yes. And so there's a balance there because obviously in this aspect of being self-aware, well, there's no place I don't want to be self-aware. I guess that's, I guess. Yes. I'm answering well, and, and part okay. of the awareness is okay. knowing those things, but, but as you just hit on so brilliantly, it's tightening up applicable weaknesses, weaknesses that are actually limiting your performance in okay. the area that you want to be uh, elite. And, you know, when we use the NBA as an example, uh, you've got LeBron James and you've got Kevin Durant, you've got about a dozen guys that do most things really well at a super high level. Uh, but they're, they're the exception. Uh, the other 440 players in the NBA are all specialists. They're role players. They have one specific skill set, sometimes two, that they do at a world-class level. Now, I'm not saying they're awful in the other things, but they do one or two things at a world-class level. And that's, that's their calling card. That's their strength zone. So in the, the book, I use the example of Kyle Korver or JJ Redick, who are dead eye right, three point right. shooters. And that's what they get paid to do is to catch and shoot, catch and shoot. They, they're not paid to, to be elite defenders. They're not paid to get 12 rebounds a game. It doesn't matter if they can handle the ball, you know, like they're on an and one mixtape, uh, you know, video, what they get paid to do is catch and shoot. And that is their role on the team. That's, it's not just what they get paid to do. That's what the team needs them to do in order for the entire organization to be successful. So conversely, when they go to practice and to work out, that's what they spend the vast majority of their time doing is the, the single thing that, that they can be elite. And, and I think, generally speaking, our society puts way too much emphasis on our weaknesses and is always telling us that we need to get better at these weaknesses when many times they don't apply. I'm a, I'm an advocate of when you're younger and you're trying to figure out what it is that you want to do in life, start looking at what you're good at and look at what you love to do and then find where those two things intersect. Right. That should put you in the general area of where you should be. Well, it's the same thing. If, if you work for a company or you work on a team, you want to look at your role on the team. And in order for that team to be super successful, your role is going to be the intersection of what you're good at what you love to do. And then in this case, there's a third, a third pillar, which is what the team needs. And when you can find alignment between those three things for as many people on the team as possible, then you're going to have a very high functioning and, and winning and unbeatable organization. But it does, it comes back, but you have to have the awareness. Like JJ Redick needs to know, Hey, I'm not an elite rebounder. I'm not an elite defender. I'm aware of that. That's okay but I have the potential to be one of the best three-point shooters in the league. So that's where I'm going to put my focus and I'm going to put my deliberate practice. So, you know, I, I can tell you right now, I could list, we could spend the rest of this podcast of me listing things that I'm not very good at. You know, I'm not very handy around the house. I can't fix anything. I don't have a musical or artistic bone in my body. And, and I can say that in jest because guess what? None of that stuff matters uh, when it comes to the most important pillars in my life, you know, being a father, uh, being a servant leader as a speaker and an author, those things don't matter. So I don't spend any time worrying about them. I try to sharpen the knives of the things that I'm going to use. That's a great, that's a great line. Well, and folks, the book is called raise your game. You're going to have to go buy it and just 
have confidence that the fact that I'm spending this much time just on the first chapter, the rest of it is pretty significant too. Cause I'm still stuck here on this aspect of self-awareness. You we talk can spend as much time there as you want. My okay, friend, it's that important. Thank you. It, it, thank you. I love it. You uh, actually, this is right in the intro uh, and I appreciate your, your breaking it down for us. You state what feels to me like a personal audit somewhat of, and I'll go through them. There's five things. What sacrifices do I need to make? And folks think about it obviously for yourselves, but you know, he's asking this, that this is as relevant for Kobe Bryant as it is for us. What sacrifices do I need to make? What skills do I need to acquire? Whose help would I benefit from? What challenges should I expect? And what habits do I need to change? Okay. I'm going to jump back up to one of my earlier questions to you in a sense of are to do this work to be getting coached for higher performance. Are there some things that we need to assume? This one speaks of me to a level of whether it's us listening or whether it's one of your pro athletes coming on uh, with his multi-million dollar contract, that there's a level of self-confidence needed to be that vulnerable, to be even open to that question. Because if I've got a whatever million dollar contract here and you're, you're wanting me to answer these questions, like, well, really, dude, I, I have arrived. Look, I am here. And obviously that's not what you're experiencing with those high level athletes, or at least not the best of the best. Yes. You are 100% correct. The best of the best never feel like they've arrived. We usually, if we're going to use sports as an example, we as the fans constantly feel like they've arrived, but they never do. I mean, once again, recently speaking, I'm not near as sharp in football as I am in basketball, but I mean, Tom Brady just won his sixth Super Bowl. He's already saying he's coming back next year. I think the average fan could say, you know what? I think you've put your stake in the ground. You're the greatest of all time. Like, but that's not how he views it. Hmm. He views it as I still can get better. There's still more for me to achieve, you know, and, and on some level, you know, I don't know if that's a gift or a curse because I know firsthand these guys, they win an NBA championship and before the champagne even dries, they're already thinking about how they can do it again the next yeah. year and what would it take to repeat or three Uh So it, it is, it's that mindset. And what I love about what you just said is you said confidence and vulnerability in the same sentence, which I'm so thankful you did because it takes tremendous confidence and tremendous strength to be vulnerable. Uh, that's another mindset that I do believe society often has wrong, uh, especially with males, uh, that young males are taught that vulnerability is a weakness and nothing could be further from the truth. Vulnerability is the ultimate sign of strength and vulnerability mixed with humility, mixed with confidence makes the perfect cocktail of being coachable, which, you know, if, if, if I'm going to have only a couple of adjectives on my tombstone, whenever this whole thing is done, I, I would hope coachable is one of them. I, I would like to, to consider myself, but equally important, those that work with me to consider me coachable because I, it, it blends those things together. And it says, you know what? I readily admit that I don't have all of the answers and that I don't know everything and I'm open to others sharing and pouring into me and filling my bucket so that I can improve. And that's, that's what blends those guys with the confidence that you, you mentioned. Because on the court, confidence is king. You know, the reason Kobe Bryant was so great was because of his confidence. But confidence comes from one thing and one thing only. It comes from demonstrated performance. That's it. It comes from putting in the work in the unseen hours to know you deserve the right 
to be successful when the lights come on, the cheerleaders start dancing, and the film starts rolling. You know that you deserve. That's where confidence comes from. And when you've put in the work, uh, you deserve a feeling of confidence. So do you experience that on the court with these guys who have already to us as the spectators, you know, feel like they, they have arrived. And yet do you still find some obviously incredible talent, uh, but they're almost there in spite of themselves because they do not have yet that confidence. They are still their mind. Well, obviously that's, I guess that's why they come to you. It's hard for us to conceive of that. And well, I guess I got to look to myself. You know, there's some people that would say I've, I've got some levels of, of success and achievement. And yet for sure, where am I not confident? Plenty of areas. Um, yes. And, and confidence can absolutely be compartmentalized. I mean, we usually speak at it okay. in generalities, like he's a confident mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. but you know, in certain areas of my life, you know, professional speaking being one of them, I'm incredibly confident because once again, I've put in the work and I've put in the reps to earn the right to feel confident. But then, yes, there can be other areas uh, where, where we don't feel confident. Yeah. So it can be incredibly specific. And, huh. and that's what's always interesting because I've met high performers who have achieved incredible success, you know, financially and, and with fame. And sometimes, you know, in personal and social situations, they're the most insecure people you've ever met. They, they mm-hmm. don't, that, that confidence doesn't always transfer over into every area of life. So we want to make sure that we've got precision with what it is that we're, we're trying to focus on and improve. Gosh, that's interesting as I think about, you know, the pro athletes that we hear about, especially the, the, well, the Super Bowl, and they had the, um, what was the award? And they had all these past, I, I can't remember, they had, you know, past athletes on there and they got an award, yada, yada. Anyways, the, these guys, that there are some that we see and they go out there and they shine and yet we hear about them a decade or two later and they're nearly in the gutter. Meanwhile, some of the others have just continued that rise into entrepreneurial efforts and humanitarian things. Yeah. And yeah, to me, it speaks to, that confidence. I haven't thought about it in that light. Well, let me ask you about something else that intrigued me as well. Sure. I like the term that you give of performance gaps and talking about that. Cause this is something we talk about in the show and, and just in relation to personal development at large, there is always another podcast, another book, another blog, something that has great information that inspires us. It gives us some hope. It gives us some new intrigue of, oh, I didn't know that. Now I, now I know that, or I think I know that at least. And you talking about, okay, the difference between that and actually doing something about it. And you gave it a name. We talked about it, but I've not talked about it. Uh, so I'm going to give you credit. I'll send you royalty checks on performance, <laughs> performance gaps. Um, so when we look at that, I mean, that, that in essence is your focus is can we be aware of the performance gap and then how do we start to address it? Now we're back to your daily habits. Is that a common vernacular for you? Not only from the stage, but it was, you know, with your high performance coaching of let's figure out what the performance gaps are and there's our muse. Yeah. And, and that's just a term that, that I, I slapped on it, but most people are aware of the fact that there is a gap between what we know and what we do. And, you know, sometimes folks don't drill down enough into the awareness to figure out what those things are. Uh, But, but there's so much truth to that. You know, I remember being told as a young kid that knowledge is power and and that's not correct, or at least it's incomplete. Knowledge is not power. It's the application of knowledge 
that is powerful. You know, I'm sitting in my home office right here and I can look to the left and I have a vast library of books. Well, if I don't read any of them, those books don't do me any good. And even take it one step further. If I have read every single book on there, but I don't do a single thing that they say, well, then what good is reading it? So it's all in the application. And this is one that I do find an interesting balance because like you and your listeners, I'm a voracious learner. I believe in constant development and learning and growing. But I'll say this, and I'll just say it about myself, not for anybody else. If I didn't learn another thing for the next one year, one calendar year, 365 days, if I didn't learn anything new, but all I did was implement everything that I already know, you'd see my performance skyrocket. That's how much I've got in the tank of things that I know that I'm not doing. And uh, if most people are being honest and have some humility when they look in the mirror, they'll say the same thing. The example I use all the time is with, say, health and fitness and wellness. You know, if I ask your listeners right now to make a list of the healthiest foods they know of, I'm confident they could do that. In fact, many of them would write down the same food. If I ask your listeners how much sleep are they supposed to get every night, they would shout out a number in a split second. And most of them would shout out the same number. And if I ask them just to kind of loosely etch out what a weekly workout program should look like, a fitness program, they don't have to submit it to men's or women's health, just roughly how many days per week, how long per session, and what kind of activity should you do. I have zero doubt that every one of your listeners could do those three things. But then if I go back and ask them three binary questions, are those the foods that you eat? Is that the amount of sleep you get consistently? And are these the type of workouts you do regularly? It's a simple yes or a no. And if the answer is yes for all three, then that means that specific person has a very narrow performance gap when it comes to health, wellness, vitality, longevity. If their answer is no, I don't eat those foods. I can't remember the last time I got that much sleep. And I sure as heck haven't done these workouts in forever. I don't say that to make anyone feel bad. And I definitely don't say it to call anyone out. I say it to shine the light of accountability on the fact they know what they're supposed to do but they're not doing it. And that in lies the performance gap. And we could look at that in any area of our life. It could be financial. Uh, it could be in our relationships. It could be it within our company. There's always going to be things that we know we're supposed to do and we don't. And start doing those things and creating habits to close those gaps is how we initially take the first step to higher performance. Well, I, I'm voting for your next follow-up book to be called Back to the Basics. Cause you, you keep bringing me to that, that even that I love that concept. I've talked about that. It's been years before where I, I, I wrote a mock book and the title was don't read any more books. And it was <laughs> spend the next, however long, just putting into practice the things that we already know. And, and to me, yeah, it comes to that back to the basics again. So in this first well, section, which I'm, yeah, yeah, please. I, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. you're, you're hitting on something so powerful. And this is the understanding and acknowledgement that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. That's a pitfall that most people fall into is they think those two things are synonyms and they're not. Everything that you and I are discussing and everything in this book is incredibly basic. It's basic to the point my eight-year-old twin sons and my six-year-old daughter can comprehend what I'm talking about. Yeah. But as we all know, doing this stuff is not easy. And, and, and it's so important to have the humility to acknowledge that just because it's basic doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, that's one of the reasons I was always so attracted to uh, the, the Zigglerisms and, and Jim Rohn and, and a lot of the guys that came well before me was because the stuff they were preaching was so basic. 
And it made so much sense. And yet hardly anyone was doing it regularly. So once we can acknowledge that all of this stuff is basic, but it's not easy, uh, I think that's, that's an imp- important hurdle for us to overcome. Well, and you brilliantly outlined that by, I, I totally agree that if we ask most people, most of the culture and ask them about the health and wellness things, we know those things. And yet, are we doing them? And then, of course, the answer by far and large is no, which is, again, that's why we do this show and hope mm-hmm. to bring that uh, ability for engagement more at hand, more palatable to, mo- to more people. So you talk about second chapter in this book and folks just for you to know he has the book in three sections in relation to the roles that we all fulfill to different aspects of our life player coach and team and in this first section on player when you had things such as discipline and coachability and confidence and those made sense to me but along with the self-awareness you also have the passion uh you have passion as the second chapter and that is one that has i think so much baggage so much dilution in our culture today and yet we know the stats, the hard, it's hard data at this point of the long-term consequences of us living a life without passion, working the days in and days out at the place of our work where we spend the most time uh, when we don't have passion. But now I'm going to jump over again because I, it's got to be an acute uh, example of it. When we've got athletes on the court, lots of money. Lots of fame, notoriety, whatever. Lots of the things that we in the American dream think that they have hit the holy grail. And you're saying, one, it's interesting that you're saying there are some of them out there that are lagging in the passion department. That seems odd because you would think, how can they not be passionate and having a blast out there? So so that's one issue. Well, I'll just ask you about that, that obviously that's a reality, but help put that into uh, a a literal perspective for us that you actually see that. And two, what do you see as the long-term effects right there out on the court? I assume that those are not the guys that we, well, I don't know. What are the consequences of that? What I've seen from the the highest performers, and we'll just keep using basketball since that's where where Mm -hmm. most of my experience comes from. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you take a player like Kevin Durant, uh, who I met Kevin when he was 15 years old, you know, many people think he's the second best player in the world right now. And he's, he's nipping on LeBron's heels. One of the first things I noticed about Kevin when he was 15, and I still know about him today is he loves the game of basketball. He plays the game because he loves the game and fame and money happen to be byproducts of that. He doesn't play the game for the fame and money. And it's important to know the difference because there are some guys who see that they have a talent and that talent can, can be a conduit to the, the fame and the, the, the riches. And that's what they use. They ride that to get those things because that's what motivates them. And that's not for me to judge right or wrong. That's fine. But a guy like Kevin Durant loves the game so much. I'm willing to bet that if everything was taken from him tomorrow, they, they canceled his contract, they took away all of his money, he was kicked out of the NBA, within a couple of days you'd see him out at a park somewhere shooting hoops because he loves to play that much. And uh, that's why I believe that he's so successful because the only way you can put in the amount of work, deliberate practice that's required to master your craft is if you love what you're doing and you're passionate about it or you're passionate about something that has a greater 
purpose. So you might work for a company. You might not absolutely have tremendous passion over what your specific role is, but you believe so wholeheartedly in the overall mission and the North Star of the company and what that company does that you're passionate about that. So you're willing to go in and do what the team needs you to do because you're so passionate about the end result. So it doesn't always have to be what's right in front of you. But if you don't have some type of greater purpose or fulfillment or passion, I don't believe you can sustain over long-term periods of time the required effort and focus to master your craft. And, you know, there are lots of people that are so talented that they can, they can achieve high levels in spite of their habits or in spite of their lack of passion. I mean, for every guy like Kevin Durant that I can name that loves the game, there are definitely high performers in the NBA that, yeah, it's okay. I mean, at this point, it's just a business to them. Yeah. You know, they used to love the game as a kid, but they've become jaded and, and now the money and fame is what keeps them going. So, you know, and, and here's the thing. This is why we don't play the comparison game because I'm not saying those guys aren't good players. Clearly, they're in the, the best league in the world. They're in the upper 0.01%. What I'm saying is they're not as good as they would, they're capable of being mm-hmm. because they lack that passion and that inner fire. In this arena that we're talking about on the personal side, is there a specific area when you go back up, I'm going to scroll here to my list. When you go back up and look at self-awareness, passion, discipline, coachability, confidence, that by far and large, and I don't know if I want to ask it in relation to those athletes or to what you see from us as a culture to where we tend to I'll ask two questions. Is there, is there an area where we tend to overcompensate uh, for lack in those other areas? And is there an area where we tend to be the weakest? Like I'm kind of looking for the, the high points and the low points of that, that you see from, again, the averages as you experience these high performing players and, and even the culture. You know, it would be a fascinating study because it, it all comes down to what people value what's most important to them, what they want to emphasize. Mm. You know, I'm, and this is pure speculation and I hope this doesn't sound cynical, but I'm assuming that if you just went and you asked a bunch of random people on the street, uh, would you rather make a million dollars a year doing something that was, eh, I don't know, okay, or you didn't even really enjoy, or would you rather make $50,000 a year doing something that gets you so excited and warms your heart and you absolutely love doing Again, at the risk of sounding cynical, I feel like a vast majority of people would say, I'd rather have the million bucks and I'm fine just punching the clock doing something that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's not for me to judge. I'm not placing judgment on that. But through my own life experiences, while that may be tempting, ultimately, I, I just don't believe you'd live a, a connected and complete and full life yeah. If, if that's what you were doing. And, and maybe those numbers are too skewed. Maybe I made that too easy of a decision for some people to make, but ultimately you got to find joy in what you're doing in order for you to be good at it, or at least as good as you're capable of being at it. I, know, I, I love the analogy and I think it brings up a reality of what we're seeing in our culture more and more people who are putting in their time for the money, for the paycheck. And we see the consequences of that in the escapism, in the medication, whether that's Doritos or alcohol, whatever it may be that we are medicating as a culture. And we're seeing that so much because we have by far and large come into more and more of working for the paycheck, not for 
the joy. So that's again, why I love hearing it from you from a high level. Cause everybody would think, Oh my gosh, every guy out there on the court must be ecstatic. And for you to say, that's not the case. Uh, that, that, uh, that messes up our paradigm. I, I believe you're, you're messing up our paradigm, Alan. Oh no, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> no, that's and, why and you're here. And this is what I do find fascinating because it really is the, in spite of, or the, because of uh, construct that we're using, because these guys are still clearly high performers. There's no question. That's right. why they're still, they're able to stay in the NBA because they're that good, but it doesn't mean they're as good as they're capable of, of becoming. You know, I remember uh, there was an athlete I had worked with long, long time ago. I mean, he was one of the best athletes I'd ever seen, you know, just a physical specimen and he ate the worst diet possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Skittles and Jolly Ranchers, like ate the worst possible. And yet he was still, an incredible athlete. I mean, no body fat. I don't know how he, he could do it. Uh, but that was an example of someone that was a great athlete in spite of poor nutritional decisions. Yeah. Certainly, if he would have ate a more nutritious and well-balanced diet, that wouldn't have made him worse. Now, I don't know how much it could have made him better. I mean, he appeared to be pretty close to his physical potential. Uh, but that's one thing that we always have to remember. It's, I mean, the, the world does work in cause and effect, but that's what you have to go back and examine. You know, is it, am I good in spite of what I'm doing or because of what I'm doing? And we all want to get as many of the answers to be because of as we can. I don't know if this is a fair question to ask. I'll I'll put you on the spot here a little bit and I'll, uh, you know, I I had my pro athlete career. I was a a pro cyclist way back when, but that's, I feel really disconnected from the world of pro sports these days and basketball and football and those things specifically. But when you get a guy at that level, you get a new you know draft pick and he's in the NBA. He's, he's got a high income now he's on his way there. They obviously, I mean, that franchise has a dramatic amount of money into their coaches of, of all varieties. Are the majority of these guys though, employing someone like what, you know, what you've done for so long, their own personal high performance coach to work on them as a unique individual. Is that a, is that a, is is that common? Is that, is that the majority? With, with the elite of the elite, it absolutely yeah. is. I mean, okay. LeBron's got a guy, he's got his coach, uh, uh, his name's Mike, who has been behind the scenes for most of LeBron's career. And he goes anywhere and everywhere he goes. I mean, and it's, it's amazing. And now, of course, LeBron has the financial means to hire someone full-time, you know, uh, and, and even as much money as some of these other guys make, uh, that might not be in the cards for them. But, but what's really great is, how far the teams have come to providing entire staffs and department to departments to meet these needs of the players. You know, so I'm 43 years old. I graduated college in 1998. When I graduated college and started in the basketball performance space, just in 1998, that's not that long ago, uh, less than a third of NBA teams even had a strength and conditioning consultant at the time. And the ones that did, they were, and I kid you not, I can hardly say this with a straight face. Most of their consultants was a a bodybuilder at the nearest gold's gym because that guy just appeared to know what he was talking about when it came to weight training. So it wasn't anyone that necessarily was, was taught and, and trained and credentialed in what it takes for higher performance in basketball. Well, now fast forward to 2019, not only does every NBA team have a strength and conditioning coach 
They have an entire staff and department dedicated towards human performance. They have massage therapists and nutritionists and sous chefs, and they've got uh, strength and conditioning coaches and athletic trainers and physical therapists. I mean, they have entire departments. They have folks that just do the mental. They have Mm -hmm. folks that just do stretching. They have folks that just do the conditioning. I mean, it is remarkable. And this is every team. So now they're at a point, and and especially in the NBA, you have the luxury of only having 12 to 15 guys on your roster, that they can get plenty of personal attention in any specific area that they need. And the team provides that for them. And yet there's still people that invest their own money above and beyond to fill in the cracks. I had read something this, this past uh, offseason that LeBron spends $1.5 million a year out of his own pocket for everything to go above and beyond. I mean, he has hydrobaric sleep chambers and cold tubs, and I mean, he has all sorts of stuff. And yes, I know he has the financial means that, that $1.5 million's a drop in the bucket to him, but that's not the point. The point is it's that important to him and his performance that he's, he's making it a priority. And, you know, uh, recently he suffered that groin injury on Christmas day and, and he's missed a handful of games in his, his entire career. These are the most games he's ever missed. He's one of the most durable athletes we've ever seen in any sport. I mean, you know, not quite a Cal Ripken, but pretty close. Yeah. And for him to be playing the best basketball of his life at his current age and have incredible durability goes back to that. He's made that investment in coaching, in all of these different areas, that that's incredibly important. So yeah, these guys, they know how important it is. And they know this is, this is their livelihood. You know, when you talk about professional sports, you have a very narrow window of when you can make the most money possible. And the average career in the NBA is three and a half years. Wow. So everyone talks about getting to the NBA. That's almost the easy part. The hard part's staying in the NBA. Wow. And when you take a guy like Kobe that played for 20 years, you know, LeBron, I think is in year 16 or 17 or 18, something like that. It's remarkable. So yeah, that's a wise investment that these guys make. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I see this in the world that I live in when I've, you know, I've got my bookshelf over here of so many high achieving, high influencing people like yourself that I have gotten to have these conversations with. And so often I see that people will hear, you know, the habits show is next for us. And we'll talk about the habits that you have. And so often they'll think that the investment in those healthy habits are the things that you do now that you have achieved success and you can afford it going back to what you were talking about with LeBron. And yet I would bet that let's take him as a specific that he didn't just start investing in himself specifically and personally after he could afford it. The reason that he can afford it is because he's done that all along. He's done more than the rest of us. So here we are in corporate America with, well, go back to that. You've got a, excuse me, an NBA team who is putting zillions of dollars into helping these guys be the best they can be and help the team be the best they can be. And yet they are still hiring somebody to work with them personally and intimately. How much more so do we need that with whatever work environment we are in? We may have a boss, we may have a manager, coworkers who are great. They may bring in some outside consultants, but if we value ourselves to the uh, level that these guys do, why would we not back to where you started is the first question I ask you. Why would we not be investing in personal coaching that takes in the intimacies, the intricacies of our lives and getting high performance coaching? I feel very, uh, uh, very challenged in that, uh, myself, not that I don't do these things, but to the level I should, I think I'm lacking, um, 
You just- well, well, and, and we all are to some degree, because I, I want to make sure that, you know, I, I applaud your your transparency and your vulnerability in saying that. And and I, too, I mean, I have a budget every year that I spend for professional development. You know, sometimes it's it's attending retreats and conferences. Sometimes it's it's ordering online programs because I do. I want to constantly be finding yeah. ways to fill my bucket. Uh, but yeah, the answer is we could always be doing more. Uh, the key is just making sure that it's emphasized and that it's a priority and the exact amount or how much you do. I mean, that's going to vary. You know, I have more disposable income now at 43 than I did at 23. So I can afford to do more things now. You know, I probably yeah. needed them more when I was 23, but yeah. you know, you do what you can with what you have where you are. And, you know, LeBron has the financial means to have someone full time. Whereas if you're a rookie and you're still making good money, but you know, you're making a million dollars a year and you live in New York city playing for the Knicks, like that's not that much money. Like you can't afford to do all of the things that, that LeBron does. So uh, it's important just to, to make wise decisions and just make sure that you're emphasizing your own development and you're putting a priority on yourself. And it doesn't have to be shown in dollar figures or with certain specifics. It just needs to be a priority. And yes, if you work for a high-performing company or organization, they're probably providing tons of resources for you. So make sure you're taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. You know, if your company offers certain benefits that that help with development, you know, hey, we give everyone X amount of dollars to spend on professional development every every year. Well, make sure you're taking advantage of that and using that. So I think there's lots of things that 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 folks just leave on the table that they're not maximizing, and we can tighten those things up. Well, we obviously haven't even gotten into the rest of the book on the coaching section, folks. In there, he talks about vision and culture and ser- being a servant, character, empowerment. And then it, uh, team is the third section, which talks about belief and unselfishness and role and clarity and communication and cohesion. Uh, it is, I really appreciate how you wrote this book. The stories are great. I, I, it really drew me in and again, made it so palatable as you brought home these real world stories from uh, people who began just as regular people like all of us. And they achieved these things because of all the things that you line out in the book and that they obviously have paid you for a long time and harnessed your skills to increase. So I, I wanted to wrap up with, um, uh, w- well, you know what? No, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get there. I, I'm lying. There is one more thing. Page 13, page yep. 13 in the book. Um, I, I don't want to miss this. You talk, you made the statement well-rounded is overrated. Do one thing well. And this comes back to what we talked about earlier, that even though, you know, in relationships, it's hard to do that. We need to be more well-rounded, well-rounded for our uh, the people that we love, people that are close to us. But in the workplace, if we want to excel, um, I, I do, I mean, you pulled that out again. You talked about it earlier, that there are a lot of athletes out there that are specialists that for most of us, well, you're sitting here right now because you are in essence, a specialist in this area. You are an expert. You have mastered this area of life. Doesn't mean you've mastered every bit of your life, but what you have mastered in this one area has you sitting here today. It has you sitting in a bunch of other podcasts. It has you on stage and it is allowing you to do something you're passionate about. It is paying you well, and it is giving you the fulfillment that you want in life. I do want you to speak to that 
again, because as much as I feel like I have heard that over time, it's kind of like back to the health and wellness things you talked about. It's things that we know, but not many of us have employed it. How many of us come in and spend a certain percentage of the day making sure that we radically kick butt in one area that is so far from the norm. It's almost angering, Alan. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And it, it is, it's a different mental, uh, constructed mind shift than I think a lot of us grew up with, but I believe you'll get a much better return on your investment of your time and your energy. If you double down and invest in making strengths even stronger yeah. than you do making weaknesses, mediocre at best. And, you know, one example I always use, so I'm a very proud father. I have uh, eight-year-old twin sons that are in third grade and I've got a daughter, a six-year-old in first grade. And, and this happens a lot with parents. Uh, let's just say that my kids come home with their report cards and they have an A, a handful of Bs, and then let's say a D. Most of the parents that I've talked to and been around will put almost all of their emphasis on that D. Absolutely. They're going to want to hire a tutor for that D. They're going to want to get that thing up. That D is the sore spot. And that's what they give all of the focus to. And um, my question is, why aren't you giving equal focus to the A? Chances are the reason your child got the A is because they found something they're good at and they found something they like. And, and that they're showing a natural acumen to that. So why why worry about getting them a tutor to turn their D into maybe a C plus when you could turn that A into something that will make you elite maybe for college or for a, a job? Like why not, you know, let's say my kid got an A in math. Well, let's sign them up for a math camp. Let's get them, let's find them some other math opportunities. Let's, let's buy them some, you know, all to me that would make more sense. And it's incredibly counterintuitive. And, and I know that's a very generalized example. I'm not condoning or applauding D's in school or, you know, my, my first question would be to make sure that that D wasn't, uh, because they didn't go to class or they, they, you know, weren't respectful to the teacher. Mm -hmm. But if it's simply because I don't like that subject, I'm not very good at it and I don't care about it. I, as their father, am not too worried about that. I would much rather want them to, to find what it is that they love. And, and really all of us, most people have a handful of things that we have the potential to be really, really good at. And if we dilute that by spending it on all of the things that will probably only be mediocre at best, it's a colossal waste of time. I mean, going back to the beginning, I told you I don't have an artistic bone in my body. I don't, I'm not musically inclined. I can't fix stuff. I'm not very handy and I'm okay with that. You know, something breaks in my apartment, I pay somebody to fix it and everything's cool. And I spend my time focused in my lane, playing my role of where I believe I can end up adding the most value to others. Uh, and then I'll be more than compensated for that. That will offset the cost of paying someone to come in and fix the toilet or the sink. I was going to say, thank you for paying the plumber so that you can be sitting here with us today. I, I, I for one, am grateful. So I Wait, did. But here's, the, here's the thing that's so remarkable. That plumber has found his strength zone. Yes. He's found what he's very good at and that he enjoys. And he gets tremendous satisfaction out of taking a problem in home improvement and fixing it for me. So it's, this has nothing to do with levels of anything. This guy is doing what he does at an elite level. I'm staying in my lane doing what I'm trying to do at an elite level. And we both win. And that, that's, that's ultimately what we should all be trying to do. Well said. Well said. Well, here, I got one place to, to wrap up here. As you look at these three areas of player, coach, and team, and being over self-aware, obviously, in all of those areas, right now, uh, you at 43, 
what's an area or two, and maybe this will, will ebb into our next show, the habit. So I won't steal a thunder here, but, uh, do you have an area or two that you right now find yourself giving more focus to that you want to shore up? Uh, of you mean of a specific area or of those the three compartments that you were just mentioning? Uh, like I, specific, I can tell you right now with with razor sharp precision the area me. that I've been trying to to work on from a pillar standpoint, and tell I do believe we'll get in it to the habit show uh, is the financial portion of my life. Ah, okay. uh, there, there, of all the different pillars, that's been the area that I've over time had the biggest performance gaps. Um, I've I've never had a problem making money. I've had a track record of of not. Uh, using my money as wisely as I, I should be. And thankfully, as of about six to eight months ago, I took some very specific steps, which I'd be happy to elaborate on, which has really helped me close that performance gap. But it took basically a coach, a, a financial advisor to help me. Uh, but the funny thing is, almost everything that he's been having me do, there are things I already knew to do. I mean, I've read tons of books on, on finances, you know, Warren Buffett and Tony Robbins and, you know, David Bach and people like that but I just wasn't doing them. Yeah. So, you know, for me, health and fitness, I have a very narrow performance gap. I work out regularly. I get plenty of sleep. I can manage my stress. I eat very well, uh, but I have huge compassion and empathy for people that don't. That just happens to be one of the spokes in my life that's come rather easy for me. And I've met people whose uh, fitness life and wellness life is in completely disarray, but boy, their financial life is on. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're set. They're, so uh, the fact that no one has all of the answers to everything and everyone's got these performance gaps in some area of, of life gives me a tremendous amount of compassion and empathy. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And so there, guys, there's your teaser for show 657. That will be the Habits Show with Alan. Man, thank you for putting the effort in to bring this book and to bring this message to us. I think uh, for a long time, self-awareness, I want to be thinking about you. I'm so grateful that you led the book off with that, especially in relation to this world of uh, high achievers that we would not tend to put that in relation to. Um, it's a gift. Thanks for taking your time and giving of your heart and your art to us, Alan. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate your support so much. So there you go, folks. Want to raise your game? Well, nothing more important than increasing your self-awareness, which won't come from merely being aware that you need self-awareness. It's really hard to do alone. You can get help from a friend, a mentor, a boss, a coach or counselor, and uh, in any or all of them, actually, the more the merrier. And I really hope you take this message to heart. Again, you can get the book, Raise Your Game, and connect with Alan at raiseyourgamebook.com or wherever you buy books. Though, again, at his site, you can get a free preview right away. If you got value from the show, give Alan and us a gift. If you would leave a review in iTunes for The Ziggler Show and mention Alan's name and this show. Coming up next in show 656 is a question. Do you really know how to listen? I asked this question on Facebook. Uh, what have you been taught regarding listening, being a good listener? Do you think you're a good listener? We received about 50 responses, but while a lot of people shared things that they had heard in regards to how to be a good listener, most also admitted they were not doing so well here. Uh, and this, this comes from this topic from my recent series on listening brought to us by Oscar Tremboli. Uh, don't miss his main show number 651. And for this Q and a session, 
I asked Oscar to join us, which he did. I think I learned as much or more from hearing his responses to your real life questions as I did in the main interview with him on his message. And as you'll hear, he was listening to me. He was watching me and you'll hear firsthand how he employs deep listening skills right there in the moment. Well, till the next show, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <music>